Chapter One of Lincoln the Lawyer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Lincoln the Lawyer by Frederick Trevor Hill. Lincoln's Mythical Birthright to the Law. One of his eulogists declares that Lincoln is not a type, he stands alone no ancestors no fellows no successors the facts fully justify the tribute assuredly the great emancipator was a man apart without equals or followers and he himself waived all claims to ancestry i don't know who my grandfather was he remarked and am much more concerned to know what his grandson will be but though the first american knew little about his family history and cared less his biographers have devoted themselves to the subject with zeal and enthusiasm and thanks to them we now know who his progenitors were even to the sixth or seventh generation and are fully informed of their domiciles and wanderings and the various stations of life to which it pleased god to call them the result of all this exhaustive and laborious research is mainly negative but there are those who find signs in the record and among the strange conclusions which have been derived from its perusal perhaps the strangest is that lincoln inherited his legal talents and aptitudes certainly nothing could be more unwarranted than this for little as there is in his origin to account for him as a man there is even less to explain him as a lawyer unless we accept the well-supported but not established contention that the great president was descended from the lincolns of hingham massachusetts there is absolutely no precedent in the family for his choice of a profession and those who struggle to prove that he came of a race of jurists and statesmen virtually defeat themselves when they take refuge in the genealogical records of new england samuel lincoln the founder of the massachusetts house had four sons and the descendants of some of those sons undoubtedly attained high distinction at the bar indeed one of them the attorney-general of jefferson's cabinet declined a nomination to the supreme court of the united states and at least two others were lawyers of recognized ability but the trouble with these facts is that the distinguished attorney-general and the other legal luminaries belonged to branches of the massachusetts family with which abraham lincoln was only remotely if at all connected and the shadowy claim that he had any birthright to the law utterly disappears when the record is more closely examined the original lincoln of hingham was an englishman who came to america apprenticed as a weaver his fourth son mordecai from whom the president is supposed to have descended was a blacksmith footnote the genealogists are careful to explain that a blacksmith was not really a blacksmith in those early days but rather an iron worker new england historic genealogic register volume forty one page one fifty three this nice distinction does not affect the question at issue however comforting it may be for other purposes End footnote. his eldest son another mordecai was a miller and blacksmith his eldest son john the virginia john of the biographies was a farmer and his third son abraham lincoln's great-grandfather was likewise a tiller of the soil this leaves only his grandfather and father to be accounted for and the former was a farmer and the latter a carpenter 
a weaver two blacksmiths three farmers and a carpenter those are all the callings represented by the president's forefathers for seven generations small wonder then that the believers in heredity have recourse to the collateral branch of the distantly related massachusetts family for precedence entitling the son of a backwoods carpenter to enter the honorable profession of the law this is virtually all that is known of lincoln's antecedents upon which to predicate the theory of his natural talents for the law it is more than possible that lincoln inherited many sterling qualities of mind and character from the worthy mechanics and farmers from whom he was descended but there is very little on the face of the record to encourage any definite claims on their behalf for the shaping of his career certainly the paternal influence was not inspiring his father was an ignorant man amiable enough but colorlessly negative without strength of character and with no ambition worthy of the name his only effort to influence his son's future was a half-hearted attempt to teach him carpentry but he soon abandoned such instruction and allowed the boy to occupy himself with odd jobs about the farm when he could not hire him out to neighbors in need of an extra hand nancy lincoln the lad's mother was better educated than most of the pioneer women she taught her husband to read and write and sent her son to his first school but she died when he was only about nine years old and it was his stepmother who encouraged his ambition for education all the misinformation concerning lincoln's professional career is not however derived from the experts in heredity a great deal of nonsense has been written about his early years and a grave effort has been made to prove him a youth of exceptional promise a brilliant scholar and a prodigy of application and industry as a matter of fact he did not begin to develop mentally until he was about eighteen even in the prime of life his intellectual processes were not quick and there is nothing to indicate that he was a particularly industrious boy five pedagogues two in his birthplace kentucky and three in indiana shared the honor of contributing to his elementary education but had their pupil been never so gifted they could scarcely have discovered it for this schooling amounted to less than a year in all about as long as it must have taken some of the minor biographers to collect and record the pointless reminiscences of his alleged schoolmates he lived the healthy outdoor life of the average country lad of the settler days exhibiting no precocity or abnormal tendencies to distinguish him from his fellows he was fond of tramping about the country not caring much for shooting or fishing but entering into other sports and pastimes with zest and spirit and excelling at games requiring strength not in love with work for work's sake but willing to do his share without grumbling seeing no visions of coming greatness and troubling himself with no ponderous thoughts concerning his career this is the sum and substance of his childhood and the real inspiration of his very human development has suffered at the hands of the enthusiastic chroniclers who picture him as a child of destiny dreamy mysterious and miraculously endowed in one respect he was undoubtedly exceptional he liked reading an unusual trait among pioneer settlers of the middle west but exaggerated emphasis has been placed on this characteristic which was by no means unique for instance the books which comprised his earliest reading are admiringly called to our attention with comments which suggest 
that they foreshadow his career. The list includes Aesop's Fables, Robinson Crusoe, Pilgrim's Progress, A History of the United States, and Weems' Life of Washington. There is, of course, nothing remarkable about this catalog. Almost every item in it formed part of the reading of every intelligent American boy of the period, whether he lived in the backwoods or in the city. Indeed, the only really notable fact about the much-quoted list is that Lincoln worked three days at 25 cents a day to compensate for an accidental injury to the life of Washington, which he borrowed from Blue Nose Crawford. There was nothing angelic about the youthful Lincoln, however. He considered Blue Nose as mean as any other boy would have thought him under similar circumstances, and we know that he nicknamed and otherwise ridiculed the stingy old farmer. But his dawning character is indicated by his prompt recognition of the claim and his faithful payment of the damages. This is one of the few stories touching Lincoln's youth which has any bearing on his temperament or his career. Most of the anecdotes of his boyhood exhibit him as a child of superhuman qualities, and many of them serve to misrepresent other great men before he was born. One episode, founded on fact, however, is responsible for a grave misunderstanding about the impulse which prompted him to follow the law. We know from his own statement that before he had been many years in Gentryville, Indiana, he had borrowed from one source or another all the books he could lay his hands on, for a circuit of fifty miles, and among the generous lenders was a Mr. Turnham. This gentleman lent him a copy of the Revised Statutes of Indiana, and if we are to believe the biographers, it was this volume, as dull a tome as ever lay between sheepskin covers, which appealed to his boyish imagination and inspired his ambition for the profession of the law. End of chapter 1